Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MTB Podcast, episode 90, presented and hosted by Worldwide Cyclery. I am Jeff. I'm Jared. And I'm Liam. In this episode, we are going to discuss all sorts of fun mountain bike things, including our World Cup racing friend, Nico Malali, and how we are supporting his project this year, where he's actually designing his own bike, having it manufactured to his specs, and racing it in the whole World Cup season. It's a pretty cool and interesting project and something no one's ever done before, so it's a fun topic to discuss. We're going to talk about our recent rides and a quick recap on the top-selling products of all of 2021. It's exciting. Is that wow. exciting? Yeah. You excited about that? <laughs> yeah. It was an hour-long YouTube video, but we're going to sum it up a lot faster than that. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have mountains of listener questions ranging from a bunch about tools and bike maintenance, fork offset, chamois that also work as diapers, differences in the various RockShock fork models, Jared's Nacho Libre hair, haircut? Hair cut? Hair cut. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Yes. And trailside dumps. Ooh. And much more. Much more. Absolutely stacked episode. All right, there we go. DJ Meatball, as usual, please play a sound effect. (laughs) All right, World Cup racing friend Nico. So for a little backstory, Nico Malali has been racing World Cups for, man, I don't know, a decade. He's a longtime friend of mine. Him and I were roommates, actually, and racing buddies back in 2009. Isn't that crazy? How long ago was that? It makes me feel really old. 13 years now. Oh, man, we are old. <laughs> uh, so uh, him and I have been friends forever, and we, we raced together, and he, he stuck with it and got on a factory team because he was really good. Got second place at Junior World Champs in 2010 as a downhill racer. I think it was by 0.06. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It was some obscenely close margin. That's nuts. And we actually had the bike that he did that race on. He just gave it to us to have as a sort of keepsake in Worldwide Cyclery. And it was unfortunately stolen in May of 2019. When did we have that huge I think so, yeah. robbery yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah. Which is a bummer. But anyway, so Nico's been racing World Cups, always on factory teams for... Yeah, probably over a decade now, which is pretty incredible. He's gone from he's gone from Trek World Racing to Scott to YT to Intense. I think that's all of them, mm-hmm. right? I think Sounds so, right. yeah. And now he's he wants to do his own thing. So he's he's always been a tinkerer. He's he's really into he's probably the one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met in terms of suspension design and theorizing and talking about it. Albeit he is, you know, a World Cup downhill racer. So his brain lives in a world that most of ours doesn't because he rides his bike considerably faster than almost every human on the planet ever will. End of story. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to talk to him about that stuff and any racer because they do live in a different world of what they're demanding out of a bike that the average rider would probably not even think about because they're just not pushing their bike that far but regardless it's it's amazing how far he's come with his bike knowledge and now he wants to do his own thing so his whole thing this year so we're a key sponsor of his i guess he's going to make it a uci team and it's it's basically him racing at the pro level at the world cup downhills and he's designed his own bike well two of them now one high pivot and one regular He's having him welded by Frank the Welder. Frank the Welder is like an iconic, famous... Like the most iconic bike manufacturer thing yeah, ever. Yeah, he was welding all those race bikes for Yeti in the 80s and 90s yep. and all sorts of brands. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's one of those names you hear and you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard that name. Didn't that guy make bikes for 
Missy Jovi and all these famous, you know, mountain bike racers over the last several decades. So Frank the Welder is building Nico's bike, and we should just have Nico on the podcast next time because yeah. he could tell a story way better. He did a podcast with Vital MTB that was really thorough talking about this whole project that he's doing and the bike and everything. So if you're super curious, check that out. Um, that was a good episode that Vital did and kind of interviewed him on all that stuff. We'll have him on next episode, hopefully, so we can dig more into the details of this. But yeah, it's just a cool project, and we're really just appreciative and grateful to be a, a supporting sponsor of them. And the bike, so we actually have now, if you go to worldwidecycler.com slash Nico, we made a little page for Nico because he's going to document his whole season, his testing of the bike and everything all on his YouTube channel, which his little brother, Logan Mullally, who's a former WC employee, worked here for a couple of years, another good friend of ours, he's going to be making all the videos and editing them, and they already have, what, they just released the first one, right? Yeah, the And the, first the trailer in the first one. So, yeah, check out Nico's YouTube channel for all that. The bike, it's pretty cool. So I don't know how many of you out there that are listeners that are downhill bike riders. Have you ever ridden a downhill bike, like full-blown? Mm-hmm. It's been yeah. a while, but yeah. Yeah. What about you, Liam? Never like the full on hardcore. It's funny. So many people have never ridden a full bore downhill bike. No, I haven't. I yeah. actually. It is kind of a rare, like, why would you unless well, you're really into it for some reason? I think later this year, next year, I might build one because I don't have an e bike. So, like, Do it. what's the point of having a pedal bike? Whatever. Tangent, but yeah. I want to. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it is kind of a rare bike because it's pretty much useless aside from going downhill as fast as you can. So, they're, they're eight inch travel, long, low, slack monsters of bikes and that's what i grew up racing downhill and i also did super d which has kind of evolved into an enduro but yeah most people i mean i haven't ridden a downhill bike and when did i have that i had that transition i built up three years ago probably 2019 I think Maybe even 2018. Man, it might have been 2018. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. I used to always like to have a downhill bike in the summer and take it to the various ski resorts, the local ones in Whistler, which is always fun. But oh, yeah. I don't know. I kind of, it's hard. It's hard to like put together an it entire is. downhill bike every season and do it. And um, but yeah, it is a rare bike to ride, but people who ride them love them because they are fun. I mean, there is so there's no like bike that. The F1 does of. That. Yeah. Mountain yeah, bike. you're right. Yeah, it is. It's totally it's out. when you're when you're crafting a bike specifically for downhill speed, that's what downhill bikes are. So it's it's pretty cool. And it's where everything comes to life in terms of suspension platforms become way more relevant the faster you ride the bike and the more travel the bike has. So when it comes to downhill racing at the World Cup level, these bikes are really important to these racers, which is part of why Nico wanted to do his own thing and design his own bike. Yep. So his bike, which is just a raw aluminum bike, horse link suspension design, 63 degree head angle, 52 mil fork offset, 475 reach with a 40 mil stem. Uh, he is going to do a mixed wheel size, so 29 in the front, 27.5 in the rear, but I think he's going to be testing that. He's going to be testing all these things, testing high pivot versus basically regular without the high pivot. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to test a lot of stuff. It was funny because the other day I was talking to him and he was, uh, what did we asked him about the rear hub spacing? And he went on this rant about how he's going to have 12 by 148 on it because it's easier for swapping wheels between his other bikes and he doesn't see any legitimate difference between the 157. And it's it's just cool hearing his perspective on things like that because if you hear a World Cup level downhill racer tell you that he doesn't notice a difference between <laughs> a quote-unquote boost or super boost rear end, then yeah. it's like, well, probably no one else ever would. I mean, yeah. these are the guys who push the bikes to the limit more than any one of us could. And, and they're so much more sensitive to every little tiny bit of it. So yeah. 
yeah, that's that's pretty cool to see. So awesome. I don't know. I mean, when when you saw this, Jared, what did you think when you like looked at this bike and looked at the specs? What were your first thoughts? I my first thoughts were this thing has just got to be an absolute riot. Like it looks like so much fun to ride. I mean, I love downhill bikes. I have last downhill bike I rode it was like a V10 Santa Cruz, um, mm-hmm. maybe like 2019 or something like that. Um, and that was a fun bike and pretty similar setup, like suspension wise and everything to this. So I mean. Yeah, I saw this thing and I was like, wow, it just looks so fun. And it's super rad that he commissioned Frank the Weller to to build it. I mean, yeah. like, yeah, you just don't hear about stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty traditional for all these, you know, highly skilled, talented World Cup racers to kind of stay on a factory team for a while or go from one to the next. And mm-hmm. they just kind of at they're beholden to that brand, that yeah. bike brand and those component brands that they're sponsored by. And they just say, Hey, here's your bike. It's the best bike. Ride, yeah. Ride it as fast as you can, please. Yeah. And we'll pay you. Yeah. And if you don't, then we won't pay you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and then you can you like know. change links here and there and the shock tune. Yeah. And like fine tune it, but you're not like changing it all up, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. I think this is especially cool because so much of the time you hear about racers, um, they, they don't have freedom of speech to talk about their setup or like, oh, yeah, yeah I picked true. the Fox stuff because I love the Fox suspension. Like, Nico picked these parts, at least how I understand it, because he likes these parts yep. and he feels like he's comfortable with them, which is really cool. So, um, yeah, he's got his freedom of expression on the bike, which is as a racer and like uh, as an enthusiast is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, that's that's totally something different than a, a traditional racer would sort of have the ability to do. Totally. For sure. And I, what I like so much is that he can disclose everything. So like you were saying, racers yeah. oftentimes can't say that, yeah. you know, especially if a racer's riding some type of prototype thing or they ask the brand to make them a custom link, but just for them and don't tell anyone. Whereas Nico's just, it's all out there. Yeah. It's like, here's the exact specs of this bike and everything I change, everything I test, I'm going to tell you all about it in thorough detail on my YouTube channel. Yeah. And that's no one's done that. No yeah. racer's done that. So yeah, yeah, that's going to be cool to see. What did, what did you think, Liam, when you saw that? Because you pay attention to the racing world a bit. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was awesome. Like looking at the numbers and then hearing Nico talk about it, I just it's like kind of every bike nerd's dream to do what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So like <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, I I love all the details of it and like you know we kind of knew about it beforehand and like got to see some numbers and. And some designs before it all kind of came out, which was really cool. So, yeah, I think it's awesome. And, like, the whole point of it is to show what works and what doesn't. And, like, filming every step of the way is super rad. Instead of, like, this is, I think there's a ton of videos now around the World Cup and behind the scenes of World Cup. And Fox Dial does a really good job about that. But True, yeah. it's not showing what works and what didn't work. It's yeah. just showing what works. Yeah. Yeah. You know? They so, can't really disclose to you exactly. what so, they chose and why and what didn't yeah, work. Yeah, I just think, and, yeah. like, the realness of his program, and, like, I think that's going to be the most exciting thing to watch is just, like, Yeah, the authenticity it of it. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah, like his last, I think it was Instagram post where he was talking about how the pros and cons of the standard pivot versus the high pivot. Yeah. And, like, you don't, you just don't see that. Like, him, I know you told me he would go ride stuff back-to-back, like, all the time, just all day, try different tires and yeah. suspension and stuff like that. So... For him to ride the standard pivot and the high pivot back to back and give you his hundred percent like, you know, authentic opinion on the performance of each is just like most people and brands are not gonna do that. They're yeah. gonna be like, Oh, high pivot, it's better. You yeah. want it. Because we just made a bunch of them and we need to sell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we made it, it's the hot thing, you want it. But like yeah. he's like, it's it's good in some places and not as good in other places. And yeah. it's like, thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes these bikes are already made before they get to the racers. Like, carbon molds are already set. And they're like, how do you yeah. like it? And it's like, oh, it's not that good. Well, 
you're riding it next year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they don't have a choice. Maybe cool. figure it out. Enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. So. And you're not going to hear a racer like, oh, yeah, I got my new frame and it's just not quite where I want it to be. <laughs> like, yeah. no, you're on your new team and you're stoked no matter what. Like, yeah. you're yeah. not going to say how you actually feel. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's good because Nico is so well spoken in the way that he describes this stuff, too. Because even that Instagram post you were just mentioning, where, you know, that was, I don't know, maybe two paragraphs or it wasn't that long, yeah. but he really clearly laid out sort of the differences that he felt felt tangibly between those two bikes on the different types of trails yeah. and how and why and th- it was just it was digestible it was yeah. understandable and i think his youtube channel this year is is going to blow up and it's going to be really educational and fun for true bike nerds to watch other racers aspiring racers and also just the general enthusiasts i think could glean a lot of information about bikes from watching his youtube channel totally. although some of them might be just like whoa this is <clears throat> dense you know <laughs> it might be <laughs> like even some people's head but yeah at the same time, I think it'll shed light on stuff like, like what Jared was just saying, like the normal bike and the high-ish pivot bike. He's like, oh, you know, it's not a huge difference. This one has a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit better here, and then the other one's a little bit better here. Like, yeah, pros and cons on each terrain. Yeah, but I think the average consumer is gonna see like there isn't a huge difference sometimes. Yep. Between two parts or two different kinds of bikes, he did the same thing with the twenty er last season when he was on intense mm-hmm. and he yeah. pretty much said like it's a wash yeah you know 29 versus the mixed wheel yeah so. yeah i think it'll definitely help some people like at least demystify a little bit and like maybe cut through some of the, like just the marketing stuff that they're hearing all the time you know but what's better just because it's new exactly. yeah yeah i agree i think i think our job as sort of a key sponsor of his program and everything he's doing and our media outlets are on, on our own worldwide cycler and in terms of the podcast and YouTube channel and our emails and stuff. I think what we need to do is take some of the ultra nerdy stuff and, and bring it back down to the, cause Nico really does speak to racers and people who, I mean, he says things like on his, he'd noted on his bike, right? It's like 30% progression, 50% anti-rise on the low pivot bike, 60% anti-rise on the high pivot bike. Uh, does that matter for most people? Does it not? Okay, let's break this down, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think our job this year, as as we follow Nico's race season and his project, we're we're gonna try to on our podcast and our media channels uh, demystify it for the average mountain biker and and help people understand sort of the things he's talking about. Um, but yeah, anyways, tune into that. That's gonna be really cool. It's something we're really excited to be a part of and, and be supporting this year. So keep an eye out for that. Nico Mullally, it's M-U-L-A-L-L-Y. Just hit him on YouTube. Um, you also have worldwidecyclerer.com slash Nico if you want to check that out. Okay, moving on. Uh, way less glamorous than Nico's <laughs> World Cup racing <laughs> is our own recent rides. Uh, it's just funny to think because like my whole brain has been thinking about Nico just slaying bikes down <laughs> World Cup tracks, and now I'm thinking about us three not that cool. <laughs> Mo- moseying around on Yeah, yeah moseying around yeah. on our local XC-ish trails that Relatively. are former coyote trails <laughs> <Relatively> <laughs> turned into hiking trails. Not nearly as cool, right? Yeah. But definitely. some people aren't even able to ride right now, so there you go. That's true. Yeah, we're luckily we've got some decent weather going on. Yeah. Um, what do you got, Jared? What are your recent rides? Um, well, today I was actually out for a fantastic ride because we've been getting some, some rain. Um, but I mean, just as a quick PSA to everybody in Southern California, if it's been raining a lot in your area, um, just, you know, check out the trail first before you go send it. Because I was down in Sycamore Canyon today on some single track and the trail was totally washed out. And I came around this turn going mock chicken and uh, I pretty much hucked and prayed and I <laughs> lived to tell the tale. But like, yeah, definitely uh, interesting. Cha- um, the conditions have changed quite a bit since 
I mean, I haven't been out in just like a couple of weeks, but the storms were so gnarly that it was enough to like erode a bunch and, um, yeah, just change the, the landscape a little bit. So, yeah, it's a funny California like problem because I think here we have those flash flood issues and yeah. whenever there is rain, there's these huge washouts and then there's these giant rain ruts or creek beds of water that didn't exist for four years because there hasn't been that much rain in four years and all of a sudden there was and now there's a creek where there wasn't a creek and yeah. I don't think that happens that much a lot of other you don't places. Think that happens I think in that's other a places? pretty southwest yeah. yeah. That's a southwest so. issue. I don't know. Like I the southwest like is like where Colorado you see those hilarious things that say like flooded and flood yeah. danger and you're in the desert. And like, what? Yeah. And then you realize that oh this actually could just be six feet deep underwater because of one because nothing drains well. Yeah. Whereas you go out, you know, we get an inch of rain and it's an issue. Yeah. If it happens quickly, where you go out to places where it rains more and they get an inch of rain and it's just the natural landscape absorbs it and the gutters and everything's just. Yeah. 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 They're, they're built for it too. Like yeah, we're here. Like almost all of our canals and rivers and waterways were overflowing. And yeah. We got oh, two totally. inches of rain in like a day. Yeah. The Southwest is notorious for these huge sort of. Uh, water runoffs and water bypasses that just sit empty, empty. and dry yeah. all year round. Even that massive underground tunnel network in Vegas. There's a documentary about all those homeless people that live in there. Wow. It's crazy. It's like huge underground tunnels all for when there's flash floods, but there isn't a lot, like <laughs> yeah. almost never. So there's always people living in these tunnels. Really? And yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting if wow. you YouTube some of that. But yeah, there is. I mean, even around here, there's these giant... Right over on Reno Road, there's a, oh, yeah, there's the a watershed. Yeah, it's this, this oh, yeah. huge, you know, 15 foot by 15 foot massive thing, and it's mostly it's. I don't think I've seen water in there for well, it's four years. Now. Yeah, there, well, yeah. There, there's a quarter inch <laughs> yeah. deep of water in it. <laughs> there's a little bit and of it's water. It's 15, you know, it yeah. Could, yeah, but it's you know, but it's new. A, yeah, it's new water. It's, it so wasn't there it's before. a good PSA. If, yeah, if you're in the Southwest. Yeah, if you yeah. haven't ridden your trails since it since you got some gnarly rain, just check them out first and try and avoid what I did. So. Yep. Your ankles will thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I got. Jeff, what, yeah. what was the last time you rode your bike? Man, why'd you ask me that? It's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I have, for some reason, just not ridden mountain bikes very much, and I'm, I'm kind of upset with myself on it. Uh, I, I was all focused on actually going out to raise MTB in Ohio with, with Nico and Logan and some East Coast buddies and, and riding the indoor mountain bike park, which was really cool. That was in just after Thanksgiving, I think. And then I have literally not ridden mountain bikes since then. I've just been running and hiking and I did a tiny short mountain bike ride. It doesn't even count. It was, on my, it was on my makeshift gravel bike that looks like a mountain bike. So I don't know. I've, I've got nothing. But I, I, I can tell you that at present, my almost my entire body is covered in poison oak. Uh, because I've been planning out these gnarly hikes. I recently read, I'm just about finished with this book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. Fantastic book. I'd highly recommend it. It's it's just a lot about how human beings in the modern day don't spend enough time outside and they need to be outside and be disconnected more and the value that nature can bring to you and a, a number of different things around mental and physical health and exercise and you know stuff like that. So I've, I've been stoked on that. So I mapped out this hike uh, in the Santa Monica Mountains, where we where we're at here in Newbury Park in SoCal, and I I purposely mapped out a bunch of stuff, but there was no trail, and I was like, I'll just bushwhack it. Won't be too bad. I'll take a machete with me, and I'll just deal with it, and it'll be a challenge. And it was it was substantially worse than I thought. <laughs> there there was actually a running creek because it hasn't been running forever. The one that feeds into Sycamore Canyon, like the very far end of that, where that starts, 
So within four hours of the hike, I'm like, all right, now I'm into the thick of this creek. I'm in, you know, actually a couple feet deep of water. My feet are soaked. I'm just like crawling through this creek for an hour and it was all good. And then it just got denser and denser and denser. Now I'm probably three, four hours into this and I'm just like slogging through these ridiculous branches and overgrowth and I'm moving so slow. I mean, I'm probably moving. I think I actually on my Garmin said I was moving one sixth of a mile an hour. I mean, I was, cr- I was literally <laughs> crawling hands and knees and I knew I was covered in poison oak. And now I'm so far into this and I'm so committed that I'm saying to myself, I'm not turning back. I'm going to try and follow this route. And it's starting to get dark. And so I, I go to set up camp and now the only place I have camp, I'm still so far away from the trail. I know where I am because I got GPS going. It's like I know where the next trail is and that's where I'm trying to get to, but I'm just crawling up this mountain through the overgrowth, just mangling through poison oak. And then I get to this one spot where I finally, it's 445, it's getting dark, bunch of rocks, little creek bed, little patch of sand. I was like, all right, I'm just going to sleep here, pull out my my little tent. I don't have my trekking poles. And my tent sets up, props up with trekking poles. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm sleeping in a collapsed tent. And it started raining. It was actually raining. So now I'm all wet and I'm in a collapsed tent. And so I try to sleep in the tent for a little bit and I start hyperventilating because it's just laying on my face. And I was like, all right, I got to prop this up a little. So I like have a stick set up and some strings and I just get it to elevate enough and, and go to sleep. My watch didn't even record that I slept, but I think I slept for a while. I mean, I made it to the next morning, and then I woke up the next morning, packed everything up, soaking wet, all miserable, and then slogged through bushes and hell again for another two hours until I got to the trail and then kissed the ground when I got to the trail. I was so <laughs> glad. It was miserable. It, I was outside. I was completely disconnected outside in those mountains by myself for 30 hours, and it was. Uh, but it, the hike wasn't even long. It was only an 18-mile hike. It wasn't that long of a hike, but at 5,000 feet of elevation, it was just miserable, but it was just because the route. I mean, (laughs) next time you're on a trail, look over at the dense overgrowth and imagine just slogging through that for five hours of your life. And it was, that's what I did. It was a terrible idea. I don't know why I do things like that. I still don't know if it was a great decision or it was a horrible decision. It's because you're reading the book. Yeah, it's because I was all got inspired by reading this book. I was like, I'm going to go go to some hardcore shit. You know, now I'm covered in poison oak recording a podcast. That's amazing. Oh, it's it's brutal, but you know that's that. What do you got, Liam? Hopefully, something more enjoyable. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit more enjoyable than that. Depends who you are, though. Mm-hmm. I uh, this time of year, I try to put in some road miles, and I had a shoulder injury, so I was off the mountain bike. So, I think a Saturday after Christmas was it? I had no, or Sunday maybe. I had nothing to do. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna ride all day. So I just loaded up the road bike, packed it full of goodies, and headed up the coast. I literally went straight up the coast until I hit 51 miles, and then I turned around and rode home. So I rode 100 miles. Wouldn't like, that be 102? It was like, well, I took it a little bit longer. It, it was like 101 miles. I'm just yanking your chair, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was 101 miles. I know GPSs aren't even that um, accurate at the time. And, yeah, it was like six hours on the bike or six and a half hours for like 100 miles, and I was by myself, and... Cranked out some audiobooks. Um, so, yeah, that was fun, I guess. Type 2 fun. <laughs> yeah. Depends who you are. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the other one, we've been looking at this route for a while. Uh, we kind of wanted to ride, like, we have a backbone trail that runs along the Santa Monica Mountains, and it's, you know, pretty well known. We wanted to ride pretty much, like, the entire Ventura County side of it on a gravel bike. So we started on this first, like, crazy fire road that drops down and back up to, like, Zuma Ridge, connects that to Backbone, and we took Backbone all the way back home. 
Um, and it was like nine, over 9,000 feet of climbing and like another like six hour day on the bike. And I haven't done that much climbing in a while. So I kind of hit a wall at like 7,000 feet and still had like 2,000 more feet to climb. And it was a good time. It was fun. Yeah. Those are good winter training rides. Yeah, exactly. That sounds sweet. Gnarly. Well, we're still getting after it, excluding myself. I'm just <laughs> hiking and crawling through Poison Oak like a moron. We're still getting I, after it. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, while I was doing that, I was like, why don't I just do like what you guys are doing? Like Liam's doing these <laughs> glorious backbone gravel rides and Jared's out there hucking water bars or on his mountain bike and I'm just covered in Poison Oak. I should just stop hiking. I just cut my losses while I'm at it. Hey, you figured it out, finally. <laughs> Dude, I'm not stopping. I, I enjoy it. I, and I'm still I'm still trying to what's funny too is the the day before I started that hike, I was running I was running intervals because I'm still trying to run a sub five mile, which I'm still not even close. I'm like in the five five twenty seven, I think I got to recently. Um, but I want to run a mile at under five minutes. So I'm still trying to do that. And I was running intervals. So I started that hike on on sore legs, sore like fatigued legs. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that didn't help my cause. It gets worse and worse, this story. Yeah, I know. It's bad. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. I just should start riding mountain bikes again more because yeah. it's a lot more fun. Even today, I just I rode to get lunch today on my mountain bike on my Ranger. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just go through phases. It's like why you started a bike shop? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I should yeah, just it's ride crazy. my bike more. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I just forget to ride mountain bikes and get all hung up on other stuff and then remember. And then, I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, those are my own personal problems. It's a but, nice gift. But more importantly, yeah. the top products of 2021. Ooh. We made an hour long YouTube video on this. So I would like to thank. Rain Man, he's uh, sitting behind the camera right now as we record this podcast because he edited that godforsaken masterpiece <laughs> of a YouTube video. It's the longest YouTube video we've ever made by by 100%. I think the last one we did in Top Products of 2020 was 27 minutes. Yeah, it was like half that. Yeah. We just got on talking a lot more, I guess, this yeah. time. <laughs> we got into a lot more detail about everything. We did get into more detail about everything. But we did, so when you watch the video, we broke it down into categories. So we have all the various categories, and it's all time-stamped on YouTube, too. So if you're just curious about, you know, handlebars or grips or drivetrains or suspension, all that's broken down into categories, so you can pretty easily sift through the video to find just that section. And then we also did the same thing on the, the article that was written up as well. And the video, which I thought we described but maybe we didn't describe it so well, was how we came to the conclusion of what ended, what products were featured in that video. So basically we did a combination of quantity sold mm -hmm. as well as dollar amount sold. So where that really changes, if we just wanted to talk about top selling products by quantity, you'd get a bunch of consumables, chains, mm -hmm. cassettes, grips, lubes, seal kits, things like that. However, those don't generate a, a ton of sort of top-line revenue, right? So we, we kind of mixed in both. We wanted to show in each category, hey, this is by quantity, the number one thing in this, in this sort of field, this category, and this was by the high end, by the revenue volume. So that was a mixture of those in every category. So someone asked that actually in a YouTube comment, and I explained yeah. that, and they're like, oh, okay, that makes a ton more sense. And I was like, oh, I guess we probably should have explained that a little better in the yeah. video. I think it's because somebody was like, how did the cork power meter end up as a top product for the year yeah yeah. And it's like well we sold a lot of them not as many obviously as like a ceramic brake pad but we sold yeah. a ton but they they cost a fortune yeah so that that ended up in there yeah the cork power meter was totally. yeah for those people who were doing power meters on and the shock was and the shock was yeah like last year or 2020 was a top product as yep. well so it's like there's a trend there 
Yeah, and then and certainly these high-end expensive products will never have the volume that consumable products will have, such as circuits right. or brake pads. But they they do they're still very important to to note, you know, in terms of what was top selling. And then we gave some honorable mentions, and so yeah, check that video out. Um, and if you're if you're curious, we'll give you a quick little recap of it. So, in terms of volume, Fox Factory rebuild kits for float rear shocks. Duh. In terms of a consumable item, a lot of people are rebuilding their own shocks. Mm -hmm. uh, SRAM disc brake pads, centered compound. That was way up there. SRAM GX Eagle 12-speed chain. Mm. Uh, man, everyone goes through those things. Popular. Yeah, those are. And they're hard to get right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. And then, yeah, we went over grips. Uh, of course, we, we mentioned our own uh, Trail 1. We have a stake in the brand Trail 1 components. We gave that as an honorable mention because that was our... That's our aspirational top selling grip of 2022. That's right. <laughs> it wasn't for 21, obviously. Grips are very personal preference. Um, ODI Elite Pros, PNWs, Ergon GA3s, those were all sort of, uh, you know, made it into that uh, top grips category. Tires, Max is dominated. Mm -hmm. There were some standouts that I thought were pretty odd once we looked at all this data in the tires category. Some yep. plus bike tires, and like Caravale and the Continental tires. Yeah. Yep. There were some things in there that surprised me. Totally. Um, yeah, I don't, what's what surprised you when you looked at all that top selling stuff, Lame? Did anything stand out to you that when you looked at all this and thought, "Oh, I didn't see that coming"? Um, I have to like sift through the whole list to get into that detail, but I think some of the tires, like I'm just a Maxis head, so like it's hard for me to like think even sometimes outside the box of away from Maxis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, seeing what people are like actually buying for tires is is kind of, um, not surprising, but cool to see. Yeah, and we, we tried to highlight. So, I mean, obviously, Maxis dominated the list. But then we tried to almost side note all of the tires that weren't Maxis. Right. And Terravale and Continental, those those were the big swingers mm -hmm. that were in there. I was like, whoa. I'll tell you what surprised me was Magura taking the top two spots in the breaking category. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I was, was wild. shocked. Yeah. There was some odd things that I wonder if they had to do just with – if we really dug into the inventory levels well, of the whole yeah. category, the whole year, it's you know, because if we had flawless inventory, which we didn't, right. nobody did. Between all the brands. SRAM, Shimano, Tier, yeah. like all the different brake brands, would Megura still have taken it? Yeah. Megura has been trending, though, because, yeah. I mean, those brakes have been trending for even the last three, four years, but they totally, they kicked ass in 2021. And, they do. Yeah, they were the top selling brakes in the two both spots. Yeah, MT5 and MT7. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see if they maintain a top spot in coming years when inventory is definitely more stable. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That will be interesting to see. So I know people love them. Yeah, so those are some standouts there. We, we covered a lot of categories in that video. If you're curious, um, hit that video. Um, link to that and everything is in the show notes. And now we're going to jump into all of the various listener questions. Ooh. All right. Wow. We got a lot of good questions. We did get a lot of good questions. If you ever want to submit your own questions, where do they submit them? Podcast at WorldwideCyclery.com. Or just stay tuned to our Instagram stories on Worldwide Cyclery. I thought you were Why gonna, are you laughing? <laughs> do that thing you do where you give them my email and then I get... Yeah, no, just... Yeah, the first don't question. send them to Jared's email. You probably can't guess what it is either. <laughs> uh, this guy. You've got to get better what at What am I going to do with this guy? Random emails. The first question is, mm -hmm. 
Liam, what is your favorite tool that you use on a daily basis and your favorite tool that you never use? All right. I think my favorite tools that I use are probably the Wear a Hex keys because they feel so good. That's a good answer. Like, they're so sharp, and there's nothing worse than, like, getting a loose hex key into a, like, already loose bolt and just, like, knowing it's going to round out, so... That's probably the worst feeling I think ever. Yeah. 99 cent store set of hex keys oh, or Harbor uh, Freight set uh, of hex keys versus oh, a man. really high end set from a yeah. good yeah. quality tool brand. Uh, my favorite tool that I never use, um, it kind of ties into the next question as well. Uh, the disc brake facing tool. Ooh. Um, to surf. Do you actually breaks. own one of those personally or you just have the one at the shop? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Why what? do you have that? <laughs> what brand is it? Park tool. Nice. Yeah. Um, because Jeff, I got the stuff. Um, <laughs> because he's got to have it. It's all right. It's all right. You could ask me about stupid exactly. things. Yeah. I, yeah. I Why do you have an AmiLED laptop? <laughs> <display>? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the next question is what tools are worth investing? What tools are worth investing in and will pay back? And what should you leave to the shop to do? Um, that latter one, you should definitely leave to the shop to do. You don't need to buy a disc brake facing tool. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, I definitely don't really need one at home. Uh, what tools are you worth investing in? A really good set of hex keys. Um, the common tools. The you common want the tools. Com- you want nice common tools. And, and those rare tools, you probably don't need like a truing stand, trailer hanger. Yeah. But. Well, I am going to say, actually, if you could get a good derailleur hanger alignment gauge, I think it's a really good one to have. Because it can save a weekend, it can save your buddy's weekend. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good tool to have if you're going to, like, look to build out your tool set. Where do you draw That's the true. line? Like a bottom bracket tool? Like... I don't know where to draw the line, Jared. The guy says the guy. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, it's, 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 it's yeah, pretty funny because when, when I was working on bikes the most, a lot, I was just broke, and I didn't I didn't want to buy anything. And he, even the first two, three years of Worldwide Cyclery, I was so cheap that we didn't even have the a real headset press. We had that sh- yeah, janky, because dude, a headset press is a cost of fortune. Oh, they are, and it's a couple hundred bucks, fortune. right? And I will say, yeah. when I started here, I could build everything just fine on a toolbox that is half of the tools I have at home. Yeah, like, and you don't need a lot. So I think good quality hex tools. Um, I mean, that's like almost half your bike. And you're using those yeah, all the time. It is. Yeah, yeah. The, the ones you use a lot, I think it's worth having really nice stuff um, and those kind of tools you barely ever use yeah. and tools that might become irrelevant. So certain that's things true. that press in bottom brackets or take yeah. out bottom bracket yeah. bearings. That's a like, tough oh, one. Oh, you get a new gosh. bike and then it's a different standard. Dude, how many old bottom like bracket bottom tools. bracket tool oh, heads man. and various things do we have here that yeah. get used once a year yeah. when someone brings in a bike from four years ago that still uses XYZ yep. EB yeah. or something? It's like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I um, wouldn't buy those tools. I would say a bleed kit is a nice thing to have that's like a little expensive and you're not going to use all the time, but but it's valuable. Yeah, that's true. And it'll pay it'll pay you back. Yeah, because that is a bleed kit is something shops will charge you a lot of money yeah. to yeah. do. Whereas they're not going to charge you much to put in, you know, drop in a headset or put in a star nut or or align your trailer or even true a wheel, but they will charge you a lot of money to bleed your brakes. Yeah. So And if you just do like your brakes and your buddy's brakes, like you just paid for the kit. Yeah, you know, true. and then yep. you can do it however many times you want. Mm-hmm. I had one more tool that I would, yeah, be a good one, but I can't remember right now. So if it comes back to me, I'll just scream okay. it. Nice. Well, in the meantime, can you tell us when was the last time you took a trailside dump? Because that's the next question. <laughs> I don't. 
I don't know if I have since like maybe riding BMX trails as a kid and like that was my plan was to take a dump at the trails. <laughs> <laughs> like as you're a kid riding bikes, it was just yeah. part of the day. I don't know. I've never had an emergency like that. Jared? Yeah, um, you have some stories. For so. me, Colin I got or a really, really close call uh, a couple years ago. Um, out like on the Triumpho trails. I think I was with Zach and I just, I didn't get it all out before the ride. And, you know, if you don't get all your poops out before the ride, you're going to have a bad time. And the whole time I had to poop. And then we were getting towards the end of the ride and I like dropped my bike, sprinted for this bathroom and I barely prevented my bib from becoming a diaper, which you'll find out more about that later. Well, um, but yeah, I actually have not thankfully had to take an emergency Trailside dump. Jeff? Well, I always carry toilet paper in my hydration pack because I just think it's a smart thing to do. Yeah. Because it's happened to me before. The last time was uh, actually when BKXC was out visiting and we rode Suicide Trail, <laughs> and which was bad because it was at the end of the ride. Let's and also say that this this loop is like six miles, so. Yeah. Max. <laughs> it was. I had too much cold root. It, it's in the, the. We made a video about that, I think, and it's in the video. But we got back <laughs> to the truck, and as soon as we got back to the truck, I was like, "I'm not. I cannot go thirty <laughs> more seconds." And we're. It's in a. It's a nice neighborhood. It's a really nice. It's a nice neighborhood yeah. in Oak Park. Yeah. And there's these nice houses, and it's at this trailhead in this cul-de-sac, and there's a sort of rain gutter runoff thing in between two houses, and I just went and climbed underneath this fence into this gutter thing, and just. Went haywire right there because I had no ch- I had no choice. Yeah, luckily I had my TP. You're comfortable there. That's all that yeah. matters. I mean, I was it was 60 feet away from like a 1.3 million dollar Southern California house. Just <laughs> two taking it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah two million I, I, now. I'm gonna say taking two. a dump right yeah. by their house. Sorry, that, but that's yeah. a two plus street. Yeah, because yeah. it's not really it's not a trail. It's just a cul-de-sac. It's not like yeah. a proper trailhead where there's no. bathrooms or anything. So it, yeah, it's it was somebody's backyard. You shed in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon my French. <laughs> Technically, wasn't their property because yeah. it was a fence. Just, you know, but I don't know what it happens. happens. It happens. Yeah, I just think you should carry TP with you. Yeah, it hurts. That's a good. I mean, it, it feels good to be prepared. Paper towel that can dual purpose is that, but also clean up a cut if needed. That's smart. Yeah, that but sense. not both <clears throat> at the same time. Yeah. Um, what's how the about the next question? one? Yeah, what tool can cleanly cut off the fifty-two tooth cog on an eagle, eagle cassette? Asking for a friend. I think I know who asked this. You. <laughs> I, I did ask it. Well, it was something well, about tools, and I asked that. One of my favorite tools, a Dremel. Yeah. Yeah, Dremels are useful. Dremels I, are cool. I just we love used, taking Dremels to really expensive bike parts. Yeah. <laughs> we used a Dremel. What The video that nearly launched the Worldwide Cycler mm-hmm. YouTube channel, which was me, and I cut the seat tube on a Yeti 4.5 because I wanted to ride an XL, but I was too short, so I cut the seat tube with a Dremel. And made it all clean and nice and beautiful. Looked great. It did. It looked, looked factory. Perfect. It yeah. looked factory. Yeah. Um, but it also took me twelve hours, and I had carbon dust in my hair and wasted an entire Sunday just sitting in the shop covered in Dremel dust. And someone after that was like, oh, "I hope you were wearing one of those respirator things because all the carbon <laughs> dust." And I was like, uh, <laughs> "Nope." So whoops. <laughs> Guess I'm getting lung cancer. But oh my gosh. yeah, Dremels are nice. Then we used a Dremel again for another ridiculous bike modification, which was taking that Eagle cassette that I just wanted. I didn't want that 52-tooth cog on there, so Liam chopped that sucker off with the Dremel. Nice. That's it. Yeah, that's a whole long story that a lot of people got mad about on the internet for Also taking a Dremel to your transition frame and cut off all your brake mounts and brake tabs. Oh, yeah, because the transition frame had internal routing. For the shifter 
external for the brake, and you wanted them both internal. Yeah. Wow. So, so we drilled. Yeah, I don't want an external. What, what extra? Come on. Like I, I get don't it. Don't they it's still do that? Friendly. I don't know. I do think they? they do, don't they? I don't know. Some people sure liked do. it because they thought it was convenient because yeah. a brake cable is a lot harder to cut than a derailleur cable and route internally. So transition has external routing for the brake cable and not the shifter cable. And I was just not a fan. I want all the cables internal. Yeah. So Liam, well, we did two things. We drilled holes to put the brake cable internal. <laughs> wow. And then we dremeled off the welded on mounts that were for that. Yep. Yeah. I alloy? forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, then we repainted the frame though. Yeah, that we, was a gorgeous looking bike. That was yeah, might have been one. Yeah, of it was an outlet bike. Ever. That's the purple yeah. one. No, it was uh, blue. blue. Or blue, blue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blue. it was like a powder coated blue aluminum frame, and it looked gorgeous. That, that bike looked so good. That was sweet. Yeah, nice. Well, that's that's the tool there. Uh, what tools can you consume liquid with? Oh. Nate Hills. Nate Hills asked that question. Previous guest on the show. What um, tool can you consume liquid with? That entire jar of bottom bracket tools. Perfect shot glasses. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was confused on this question. I thought, mean, did he mean, can you just use the tools while you're <laughs> drinking? I just. Yes. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> this is a total Nate question. That's yeah. a, there's a. Two Nate Hills, by there. the way, um, he is an ambassador of ours for Worldwide Cyclery, and uh, he's got a phenomenal YouTube channel and Instagram, and he rides all these amazing trails all over the place and does a really good job at filming them and various different cool features on them. So check it out, Nate Hills. But, yeah, that, that's a funny question because I, I read that and I was like, can you just – what does it mean you can get drunk when you're using a tool? You thought you could, like, use the tool to use as a shot glass? That's Maybe how that I is what he meant. it also. Uh, oh, well. All right, yep. what's the next question? Three favorite or most important bike cleaning tools. Uh, hmm. Um. Well, I'll say one. I think the uh, Park Tool chain cleaner. Yeah, that's pretty clutch. It's pretty chain cleaner's great. clutch. That's that a good one. investment because nothing gets a properly clean chain like a chain cleaning yep, tool. So yep. that's and, actually uh, worth it. I think a clean chain's a happy chain, and that could be a whole podcast in itself. But yeah. What's yours, Jared? You like a clean bike. I like the chain cleaner a lot, but I also like um, just a like a good short-haired one for doing cogs and chain rings and stuff. And then when I – with Yetis, I do like the long bristled one mm. to get into the Switch Infinity and yeah. stuff. And like any pivot points, I really like the long-haired brush. Long Jeff, brush. what's your favorite tool you watch me use on your bike? I, I was just like <laughs> – Why you got to do that, man? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't washed a bike in a while. I have no idea when last time I washed a bike was. I don't know. It makes me feel like... Je- I, I have some level of, of shame that I, I feel like a <laughs> like a tool that I don't even work on my own bikes. You could change uh, that. Jeff's favorite tool is the SC1 to make it look brand yeah, new. Yeah, shine nice. it up. No, no, no. Yeah. It's the park. I looked it up. It's this one. It's oh, the GSC-1. Uh, that's what Jared just Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, yeah. it's got that you can... Clean into the cassette cogs real good, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's got those rough bristles. You can clean. I like a really clean chain, cassette, and pulley wheels. Mm-hmm. I just really like all of that super clean and, and gorgeous. And Absolutely. That, that tool from Park really does it. Their Gear Clean Brush, also known as the GSC-1. That's a good one. That's my favorite cleaning tool. I like that one too. So, all right. Nice. 
this next question, my son constantly bends his derailleur hanger. He has a stump jumper Evo, and it seems to be a thin hanger. Is it worth getting a wheels manufacturing brand hanger for the cost, considering it's three times the cost? And is it also worth getting the tool to align it properly when putting a new one on? Uh, I mean, mm. my opinion, I don't honestly think the wheels manufacturing one is any stronger. That's not really the... In some cases they are, some cases they're just replacements. Yeah. It's hard to say. Driller hangers are not supposed to be non-bendable. Like, they're supposed to be bendable, so you yeah. ruin a $25 part rather than your extremely expensive driller, which is a lot well, more than a driller hanger costs. And if alloy doesn't bend, it breaks. Yeah. So you don't want it to break. Like, Cannondale's used to be notorious for just breaking. Anytime you try to straighten it, they just snap. Um, is it worth getting a hanger tool? I mean, if you and your son are into riding and you guys have some buddies too, I'm sure your son's friends bend hangers. It's not like an outrageously expensive tool to get like a no. park tool, derailleur hanger tool. The DAG, the, the DAG, derailleur yeah. alignment guy. Yeah, they just came out with a new one too, and it's even sweeter than the original, so. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a pretty convenient tool. You do need to have some education on how to use it correctly because yeah. I've definitely seen people not know how to use those and mess yeah. that up. And little goes a long way when bending hangers, so. Yeah, the other the other word of advice there is you're really not supposed to bend hangers back. You and know, keep like riding. yeah, like it's once like aluminum that. bends, it's not. I mean, it's kind of a it's it's a last resort where you bend it back and keep riding. Like that's not. It's like what yeah. you do if you have to ride tomorrow and you can't get a new hanger for until the next weekend or something. Because aluminum bends once, you bend it back, it's bound to break. You yeah. bend it twice, bend it three times, like it's going to snap. I, I used to do that when I was a, a broke teenager riding mountain bikes with this exact same problem because I was always jumping my bike, always crashing my bike. And I kept bending hangers and I would just bend them back. And I didn't have a tool and I would just literally put a three-way, a five mil Allen in there and just yank on it. Have you ever done that? When no. You're, oh, well, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's a plausible way to do it when you're a teenager. Adjustable wrench? Yeah, yeah. So I would bend it back like that over and over. And I remember one time I hit some drop and I landed and the drailer hanger snapped just from the force of the drailer hanger like whipping. Oh, I've done that too. And it snapped the drailer hanger in half, drailer went into the spokes, whole nine yards, like <laughs> broke eight spokes, ripped the chain up, cassette, drill, like everything. And this was all because I should have replaced the hanger and not been so cheap and just kept trying to bend it back and bend it back and bend it back because it inevitably it just breaks at the worst possible time. So yeah, try to not re-bend hangers back. It's not what that tool's really for. So, I don't know. There you go. Yeah. What's a good example of a toolkit to bring with you on a bike trip? We actually talked about that in one of the recent YouTube videos. I feel like that wear a toolkit. Yeah. Bike toolkit That's a good one. Yeah. 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 The, what is it? Bicycle set three, maybe? I think so. Bicycle yeah. set three. Yeah. yeah. It has pretty much everything you need if you take your bike apart and put it in a box, which you just need to put, you know, maybe the fork back on, or maybe there's the Bars, handlebars and the pedals. And, yeah. yeah. I would say, yeah, like that in a three way. Or just like that and then a solid Allen set because then you do have like longer arms if you need to torque. Yeah. Whereas the Bicycle yeah. 3 has got like a pretty small ratcheting wrench and then the little one, um, you know, handheld one for like stem bolts and like bottle yeah. cage bolts and stuff. But And then a good set of combination pliers too. Mm. Pinch stuff, cables, yeah. bend stuff back. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's... The only thing, too, is if you're going to be putting your tools in your bike bag, be careful because most airlines will let bikes fly as a regular checked bag if they're under 50 pounds, which True. is close. The time you put a full bike and get right. in an Evoc bag or even a cardboard box, I mean, they're close to 50 pounds. So if you put your yeah. shoes in there, your helmet in there, your tools in there. So just don't let that thing go over 50 pounds. So yeah. don't bring too many tools. In. I can't fly with my whole travel kit. I have to check it separately. Yeah, you just got to break it up into different things. Yeah. 
Let's see. How about the next one? What would be a recommended basic tool setup for the most common at-home bike maintenance? Are there starter toolkits? Starter toolkits. Best tool brand for those on a budget. Bark um, tool. Bark tool. Bark tool. Yeah. And they make starter kits. Pedro's makes them too. Um, another good brand that also is pretty budget friendly when it comes to bike specific tools. Um, both those make starter kits and like that's where I'd start probably. Nice. Yeah. Park Tool has an amazing array of everything from essentials to this master toolkit that is, I think, $7,000 and everything in between. So they have this, these great price points. Whether you want to spend $90 on your absolute essentials toolkit for your bike maintenance all the way up to the highest end stuff so that, you know, it's all over. It's just it's really cool. I think they're one that we've talked about that in one of the trending products videos because funny enough, peak pandemic, right, sort of mid-2020, everyone was buying toolkits and yeah. bike stands because they were working on their bikes themselves. Couldn't get a bike stand. You couldn't get it. Yeah, eventually you couldn't. By August, they were all gone. Yeah. But for a while there, bike stands and toolkits were just flying off the shelves because everyone wanted those and people were loving those park toolkits that I think were the one that was around 190 or 200 bucks mm -hmm. came with almost everything you'd probably ever need. Yeah. It's probably that question of what should you leave to the bike shop and not bother yeah. buying yourself. That's the only thing that that toolkit doesn't come with. Yeah. So I would look at the various park toolkits if you're starting from scratch. The hard thing is most people already have, it's like, oh, I got some tools. I just need to buy onesie twosies of these other types of things. But mm -hmm. if you're starting from scratch, park tool is the best array of kits and all the different price points that you'd need. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, or you could just look at what's in the kit, look at what you have, and then fill in the blank, and yep. then you're pretty dialed in. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, this one's more of a statement than a question. It just says Liam is a tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just left it in there because I thought it was funny. Because it could be a question. Cause it is. Because it's... What's what funny is, is it is an, is it an insult or is it just a play on words because you're known as a mechanic and tool guy and it's, <laughs> that's why it's so funny to me. It's hilarious. Um, that's all I got. I'm, I'm not offended. He's a tool for getting stuff done. I think it's a compliment, <laughs> personally. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. I thought it was funny just because like of the so. irony. I know. That's why it's it so funny because you work on bikes, you use tools, you like tools. It's like... <laughs> It's funny, man. It's a good one. It is a good one. Uh, first place you'd like to travel to and ride when all of this COVID mess is over. Well, I'm going to say the obvious one. Yeah. Whistler. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say that, too. That's first place I'd like to be. Jeff? I'm going to go with New Zealand, mm. mostly because we did that trip with New Zealand mountain biking there in December of 2019, mm -hmm. and it was it was the peak of my life. <laughs> Okay. It was just such good riding and so fun. And it was, it was, I don't know, it was, it was just this really memorable trip that I had of amazing mountain biking and amazing international travel and incredible riding. And, and it was just like a bit, the word pandemic, no, I mean, no one even said that. It was yeah. just, so I don't know. That's just, when we peaked as society is. As humanity, when, you when humanity peaked is December of 2019. Yeah. When you went on that trip, that was like one of the most jealous I've ever been of any of your trips. I was like, <laughs> going to New Zealand? Well, the plan was Damn. New Zealand mountain biking is similar to, so Chasing Epic, uh, which is we, we do those rides pretty often with that tour company. New Zealand mountain biking is a tour company in New Zealand, obviously. And that was the first one. And we're like, okay, let's test it out, see how it is, see if these guys are legit, can they put on a good trip? And I was like, oh, well, let's do these every year. And that never happened again. So yep. that's what I'm looking forward soon. to. Soon. Yep, soon. Let's hope. Uh, let's see. 
Has anyone ever taken advantage of the Jeff delivery option on the World Blood Cycler <laughs> website? $1,000 seems like a bargain. So so recently, I don't know, <laughs> he's just laughing. <laughs> recently, I thought it would be funny to, I don't know, when it's probably late Saturday night or something, I emailed uh, Pat, the logistics head at the business, and I said, hey, Pat, make a new shipping method. <laughs> Make it, it's going to be called Hand Delivery by Jeff for $1,000 and put it on the Kettle Mountain website and the World Wide Cycle website. And he's like, he's like, sure enough, Monday morning, he's like, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I, I just thought, yet, right? no one's using no it, no one's way. Yet, yeah. So I, I don't know, to me, I thought it would be hilarious if somebody does do that. I'll literally fly there. It's only to the lower 48. Yeah. Um, it's $1,000. Oh, you won't go to Hawaii? Come on. Oh, for $1,000, it's expensive to go. That's, it takes a long time, too. I guess it depends on what I guess they it's get just in the order. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody orders some brake pads, and then there's $1,000 shipping fee for me to hand deliver it. I wonder if people think that's serious or not. Um, or people if they do think they're just going to pay $1,000, and we're just going to laugh at them. Like, um, no, I'm actually going to hand deliver that. Yeah. Dead He'll serious. be at your doorstep. We were, like, also we, talking we, about, we were also talking about putting like a, for $500, Jared will do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we should so put ridiculous. DJ Meatball on there for 300 bucks. What do you say? <laughs> he's, he's in, he's in. Doesn't even cover the flight. <laughs> Doesn't even cover the flight. <laughs> so absurd. I don't know. No one's, so no one's awesome, done it dude. yet. So I don't know. We'll oh, see. Man. 500 bucks, somebody will do that. I bet you. <laughs> I know. I'm going to, if no one does it in the next couple months, I'm going to put it to 500. It's like, a, or, or I'll make it to where if it's the western half of the U.S., I'll make it 500 and then eastern half, 1,000. All right. Yeah, or it'll be seasonal. So if you're going, if it's, a, <laughs> if it's like a snowy state in the wintertime, it'll be two grand. And if yeah. it's, you know, if it's Miami or something, I'll be like, I'll go there for 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Prices vary. Killing Prices me. Prices vary. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, on a, on a more serious mountain bike note, how would you explain fork offset to someone with no biking knowledge? You know, Jeff, I'll tell you, I wouldn't <laughs> because. <laughs> What's the point of explaining it? Because, yeah, uh, yeah if somebody has no biking knowledge, um, they don't, they were not going to know what a fork is. So you're going to have to tell them about the fork first. And it's then, not what you eat with. Mm, exactly. Although the fork can eat. And that's a whole nother can of worms. They don't, it's not. Yeah, two-prong fork. It's not a traditional fork. But anyways, I'm not going to go down that road. Yeah, fork <laughs> offset, I feel like it hasn't been talked about. It was a really hot topic a few years ago. We well, made a it, pretty extensive YouTube yeah. video on it. It's because it did change. Like It, it did was the change. same forever. Yeah. It was the same forever. And no one really knew why. Yeah. Gary Fisher just made it that number, yeah. and that was it forever. Well, he made it that number for 29ers. Yeah. So it was a certain thing for 26ers forever. Then when 29ers became a thing and Fisher was like, hey, I'm going to make this G2 geometry and yep. change the fork offset. And I was like, oh, that actually does work better for 29-inch wheels. And then that made sense. And then I was like, oh, maybe we should adjust it from that a little bit for a 27.5 or make it particular for 27.5 versus 29 and different for slacker bikes. And so, yeah, it became this big talking point a few years ago and then it's kind of faded away because it just settled into what it should be yeah yeah so it's kind of due to geometry reasons basically right yeah i mean i would say if you're curious i mean our our video is certainly not meant to be watched by someone with no biking knowledge but i would say the average mountain biker could get a lot from that video because i even rode two bikes one that had sort of the new modern geo with the offset fork versus the one that didn't and rode them back to back. And we, we recorded this footage of me weaving through different rocks as kind of a slalom and slow motion. So you could see how the bike steered. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's one another one of those things that some people could reasonably chalk up as a negligible change. Yeah. Some people might notice it. Some people might not. It's certainly not anything people should be worrying about or be discussing to beginners. Yeah. Just yeah. get what's on your bike. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Yep. All right. For 2022, are we going to see more of an increase of prices on MTBs and components? So I'm going to say it's, I don't, maybe not because they already all happened. Yeah, I guess that's you true. Know, everyone already raised all their prices because everyone's kind of already been running into in the industry all these supply chain issues, all these raw material issues, just all shipping. inflation, like all shipping problems. So, I mean, a lot of those prices have already been hiked up. I mean, I think it was, it felt like, it felt like every other week in early 21 that we were getting an email from this brand and that brand and this brand. Hey, our costs went up. Hey, the tariffs went up. Hey, the shipping went up. Like price change, price change, price change. Yeah, like all happened at once. Yeah, it did kind of. So I don't. Maybe it won't now because they've already pushed them up. I mean, maybe it won't, but I'm not going to be surprised if it does. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. So I don't know. All, all that I can say is, is if you've heard about sort of the bicycle boom, the bubble, you know, uh, it's burst. The the industry in terms of demand and metrics across the board from everything we see and everything that's available to track, it's totally back to and even sometimes slightly lower than 2019 off-season level. So it's the boom is over. Um, it was very induced by the pandemic, by people going into lockdown for this first time, and they're being like, oh, I want to pick up this new sport, or people saying things like, oh, I'm, I'm working from home now, I'm going to ride five days a week now instead of two days a week. And so, yeah, that's it's over. I mean, the, the boom is gone. There's a lot of data points. If you're ever curious, uh, Google, you can go on Google Trends, so type in Google Trends into Google, and Google has a website where you can track the search volume of different keywords, anything you type in there. So you can type in mountain bikes or bike shop or SRAM or Shimano or uh, Fox 36, and you can look at all these various different terms that mountain bikers or you know new mountain bikers or novice mountain bikers or experienced mountain bikers would be typing into Google, and you can see the search volume, and you can look at it on a five-year basis, and you can see when it peaks, when it's popular, when it trails off, and yeah, everything just shows it just skyrocketed and basically... April of 2020 all the way to July of 2020, and it's just come right back down to reality. Wow. So so who knows? That that should affect prices to some extent, but there's also a million other things that are still lingering from that that are going to cause potential price increases. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, why did Jared cut his Nacho Libre do? Why on earth did Jared cut off that sweet Jesus-like hair? Why did you? Why did I? Um, yeah, I was literally I complaining felt, about that today when you walked into the lounge. I was like, why did you cut your hair? Well, it's it was. Inspired. It used to be like this. It was really great. It was really long. Then he went kind of shorter. And then I think that's where the, the spiral happened. You know, man, I just said I'm sick of going to the barber. And <laughs> I'm sick of this hair. And I'm going to chop it off. I was not stoked. I feel is, like I was, it was thinning is what I told Jeff. And Do I, you think? I feel like I could see my scalp, which oh, I did geez. not like. We're all aging over and here. So I said, if I'm going to see my scalp, I want to see the whole thing. <laughs> Do you think the same person asked the the next question, which says, who is the sexiest WC employee? Separate question, why is Jared so sexy? <laughs> I can was that your, did your girlfriend ask that? <laughs> yeah, no, she didn't, but I can double check. Yeah, did you ask that? I did yeah. not, which, you know, typically that is something I would Strange ask. Strange listener question. For <laughs> someone Jared is not the sexiest WC employee. We're going to say that. Oh we asked God. for mountain bike questions, and this is what comes in. <laughs> It's funny because the last, and I mentioned this last episode, where we now very explicitly have to say, please ask mountain bike specific questions, serious yeah. questions. Because otherwise, if we say, hey, we have podcast questions, it's just hundreds, of hundreds of shenanigan <laughs> jokes. It's no one takes it seriously. We got better this time around. We did get better. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Here's a question Can a diaper work as a chamois? Yes. Um, but I don't recommend that. I would recommend a chamois as a diaper. 
Well, don't we have a uh, show sponsor? That's right. We do have a show sponsor, actually, that produces that very same product. Let's play their ad. Let's play that ad. Have you ever had to go while you were on the go? Introducing the chamois diaper. The only chamois that also includes a diaper for your adventurous needs. Only $129.99. No returns. Is there really that much different between Sid, Pike, and Lyric other than stiffness? Mm. No, RockShox just loves to make more and more skews. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the answer is yes. They're, total, they're, they're totally different. The, the Pike and the Lyric is the only kind of reasonable one there because they both have, well, they all have Similar internals as well, right? Basically, yeah. I mean. The Pike and Lyric are very similar, but the Lyric is a little stiffer. Um those two are similar. The Sid is not similar to those at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess, well, we should put it this way. So we actually have a, a YouTube video, which is done surprisingly well, about the Fox fork lineup, which mm-hmm. is what's the difference between 32, 34, 36, 38, 40. And that helps people, especially a lot of people getting into the sport. They see all these numbers and they're like, what the heck? Fox has actually a pretty reasonable, rational naming convention where all those numbers relate to the stanchion diameter. And the stanchion diameter typically relates to how much travel the fork's going to have, which then relates to what type of bike it's going to be put on and what it's going to be used for. Mm -hmm. RockShark, on the other hand, doesn't have quite a naming convention that has any rational sense to it just yeah. kind of random names yeah uh so sid pike lyric and then they have the Ari, then the zeb and then they have like a million other forks mm-hmm. too yeah. yeah so yeah it is confusing but basically you know rock makes forks for all the different types of bikes whether it's a you know 500 dollars hardtail that needs a 100 mil travel fork at a low price point or it's a seven thousand dollar hard hardtail that needs a really lightweight you know Sid fork on it for a really high end hundred mil travel fork, mm-hmm. and then they have everything else across the board and different price points. Um, it's confusing. We actually have on the back burner to make that YouTube video to explain that Rockshock fork lineup, don't we? Yeah, we do. We should do that. Working yeah, we on. do. Yep. Um, but anyways, the Sid yeah. is for cross country bikes. Yep. And slash then, down country, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and then then they have the Sid Ultimate, right? Which is a little hundred twenty mil travel, which is like a cross country bike with a little meat. Or 35 mil stanchions. Light trail bike. On that one. It's a yeah. fun country bike is what yeah. it is. Fun country bike. Free yeah. country. Yeah, because so they basically have all these different models that, so the Sid, Hardcore Cross Country, Sid Ultimate, that's 120, has a little bit larger stanchions, a little bit more travel, so it's a little bit heavier duty, like what we often ride as Revel Rangers. Um, 115 mil travel in the rear, 120 in the front, Sid Ultimate, awesome. The Pike, that goes, what do Pikes go from like 130 mm. to one? 50 or 160? Like one, not mm-hmm. even, no. 120 to 140 usually. I have 150 pike. Yeah, you're an outlier. What? Yep. I think I think, think they, so? they, they don't make a stock 150 pike, I believe. I mm-hmm. think that becomes a Lyric. Yeah, because then the Lyric's more travel. And then the Lyric's like 150, 160. Then the Zeb is like 170, 180. And then you have the Boxer, which is a dual crown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the Yari is just a less expensive version of the Lyric. Correct. Right. And then yeah. Revelation is a less expensive version of the Pike. And then, yeah, what's the other one? The, uh, domain? Domain. The domain. 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 <laughs> domain. Yeah. Uh, the Domain. Domain is a less expensive version of the Zeb. Correct. Yeah. This yeah. is hard to keep track of. I mean, yes. it is It is crazy. Imagine being a new, getting into the sport and you're, you know, you, you bought your first trail bike, and you're like, oh, I want to upgrade my fork. I like this brand. You would 
you would be pretty confused, especially yeah. if you looked at their website. Oh yeah, it's just there's like nothing well, really that it explains. More expensive, so it's got to be better, right? It's like yeah, but there's a more expensive. There's a Sid just as expensive as a Zeb. It's yeah. like, but they're for two totally different bikes. Yeah, that yeah. is confusing. It's gonna be hard to water that one down <laughs> <laughs> to someone who's kind of new into it. But we'll, we'll do part. it. Yeah. yeah, we we did it in the Fox video. I mean, it was easier with Fox because their naming convention just makes sense the way they've numbered it related to the stanchion diameter, whereas RockShock is kind of just with these various different names. Yeah. But it's possible. Yeah. Imagine the challenge. You are a new employee at RockShocks, and your job is to make a new fork name. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> or, you or, or you're just a new employee from the outside the bike industry, and you just join the company, and they're like, all right, here are all our products. You're like, what the hell? You have a revelation and a lyric? Yeah. <laughs> Next. Don't forget the Judy well, and the XC30 and, and, and the Zeb. <laughs> the Judy. <laughs> Silver TK. Judy, yeah. Uh, gold. The 35. Zeb and the Pike come from the same guy, Zebulon Pike. So it's like the same inspiration. For oh, like yeah. Two different huh. forks. Yeah. Oh, so I guess at the end of the day, all these forks are for different types of bikes, be it a cross country bike, a trail bike, a enduro bike, a downhill bike. Um, they're for different types of bikes, and then they're also at different price points for those same bikes. For would you say like the damper is tuned a little bit differently for each one of these forks uh, to like you know that's related be more engineered to the type towards of bike. Yeah, yeah the type yeah. of application I guess yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think maybe that's also what they're asking too like is there, is there going to be a difference in like the damper like the internals aside from like the the chassis I guess. So like yeah, there is you know they're going to be more adjustable or like built for more like robust applications. Yeah, well, I mean, what you want out of a long travel super enduro fork like the Zeb is very different than what you'd want out of a you know cross country race fork. Yeah, and the yep. level of adjustments you'd want out of it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, this is totally confusing. The more I, the more we talk about it, the more I realize we're just gonna. <laughs> it could be a whole them. podcast. It could be a whole podcast. Question. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. I mean, mountain biking is a pretty intricate and complex sport with a lot of different products, so it just takes time and patience to learn these things if you're you're into the sport and want to learn it. True. Uh, let's see. Last question. Aside from mountain biking, what are some really good workouts you can do to improve your riding? Mm. That's a good one. Liam, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but you should go ahead. What is my answer going to be? I think you're going to say rowing. Rowing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a rowing machine in my house. Um, it's like, yeah, you could row a lot. Um, I just think like good strength training yeah. is good for mountain biking and kind of like anything really. Like you don't want to only do one type of activity. True. You know? Yeah. If you just ride, you're going to get weak in other aspects. So like uh, strength training. I like to hike a lot especially during, like, the winter. Yeah. On some big hikes. Maybe not, like, Jeff's hikes for a little bit. <laughs> Don't do I'll those. Keep them, I'll keep them within one day. Yeah. Um, not do that. But, yeah. I don't know. What do you like to do? You run. Yeah. I'm, I I have two things. So, one I have, so D. Tidwell. Yeah. He, yes. He's rad. Yeah. Same we've training. done a collaboration thing with <clears throat> D. Tidwell. He's, he's got a whole strength training program specifically built for mountain bikers. He trains a lot of professional mountain bike racers. Really cool, good guy. Just Google his name, um, check out his programs. It's, it's pretty interesting what he does. And 
basically how he's engineered these educational products that you can buy that help you do strength training at home specifically for flexibility and strength for the sport of mountain biking that other professional athletes in the mountain bike space do. So that's one piece of the puzzle if you want to get serious. For me, I think one of the bigger secrets is simply just running. I think mountain biking is a very aerobic sport as much as people want to try and pretend it's not. It's an extremely aerobic sport. And if you can run, and if you are a runner, even in some capacity, way, shape, or form, that dramatically helps your aerobic endurance on your mountain bike a lot. And yeah, it just makes a huge difference. And I know a lot of mountain bikers are just like, oh, I hate running. Like, Liam, you hate running. And I absolutely hate yeah, it. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people just don't ever want to run, but it really, really does yeah. genuinely benefit how you feel on the bike and your aerobic capacity when you're on it. So true. I would try running. True. So, I don't know. What do you got, Jared? Do a triathlon um, on Catalina Island. I like yoga personally. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just like yeah, light stretching or like yoga type stretching and certain poses I like to, you know, take from that and implement it and then just kinda keep me like a little bit looser and feeling good for rides. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I don't really do like a lot of like strength training, even though I'm gonna start the D Tidwell program mm-hmm. pretty soon. Um but yeah, yoga is pretty much it. Yeah, it's funny because hanging out with Nico, I mean, I, when I was racing mountain bikes, I was a lot more serious about training and then just, you know, still obviously stay in shape, but I don't do it to the professional athlete level. And every time I hang out with Nico, I mean, it's it's nonstop. I mean, he wakes up and he's doing various different stretches and then he's doing intervals and he's got all this schedule and it's like, whoa. It's like, well, professional athletes really take this shit seriously. It's like it's their job or something. Yeah, it's, it's like a full-time job. <laughs> So it's, it is, it is pretty wild, but yeah, it does. I mean, when you get to that level of athleticism, you have to do it all. Like you have to be stretching daily and working on strength for certain things and making sure you're preventing injuries and doing the aerobic stuff. And yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but I don't know. aside from riding, I think running helps a lot. Yeah. Yoga keeps you flexible. Mm-hmm. If you're serious about it, do something like D Tidwell's program. Yeah. It definitely helps too. Totally. Well, that's it. That's all. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far. We love you. We love you. <laughs> I always look at Jared <laughs> to say that, and he's like, God oh, damn it, I have to say it again. <laughs> we but love yes, you. Thank you for listening. It does mean a lot. Yeah, we genuinely appreciate your listenership. Is that a word? Ooh. Or viewership, if you're yeah. watching the MTB podcast on YouTube. Yes. So thank thanks, you. Thanks thank for you. listening. Next episode, is, if we remember, we'll have Nico on. Yeah. Don't forget to tell me. All right. We must remember that. I'm sure we'll remember it's all on. <laughs> It's all recorded. (laughs) Okay. See you later. Bye. Hey, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Thanks. Bye.